You're listening to Hawk Talk, the official podcast of Monmouth University Athletics. Here are your hosts, Eddie Acapinti and Greg Viscomi. We've got another athletic year coming to a close. Still some championships still to be decided with some of our spring sports, some of our fall sports making news with some football players and one of our key playmakers finding a new home, we hope permanently, but we've got a lot to go over on this edition of Hawk Talk. We appreciate you checking it out as always. Eddie Acapinti, Greg Viscomi with me as always every week, as consistent as they come. And Greg, we are excited about our guest today. It's not only a friend of ours, someone that we've worked with for a long time, but I think it's a great conversation that we're going to have to kind of peel back a little bit of the layers and take you inside the inner workings of one of the most important departments at a college athletics department. Yeah, honestly, and I don't think it's a department that gets a ton of love, um, but we are super excited to have Tim Ream on. And Tim, why don't you give us your full title because I don't want to say it wrong. Um, as far as I know, I believe it's Director of Strength and Conditioning here at Monmouth University. No, oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was much longer it than that. It can't be contained to the Should words, be. though, because... Should be. It'd be great if that's all you had to do, right? Director of Nutrition. <laughs> right. Director of Getting Dudes Swole. I mean, it's just that's yeah. implied, so, you know, just roll that Getting way. folks swole. We're not limited oh, yeah, by... Say I'm sorry. We're not limited by a sport. That's the, the great apologize. thing about... well. And obviously a lot of our conversation with Tim is going to involve around the sports he works with, but you oversee a department that is tasked with, you know, our coaches coach, but I think strength and conditioning, right? Professionals are coaches because that is such an important element of what goes on and obviously of your life as well. But if you're not physically ready to roll, I mean, that's the difference between sometimes teams, well, not sometimes teams winning championships and teams not. Yeah, I would say strength and conditioning coaches in general wear a lot of hats. And and that's one of the best things about the job is it's not just about what we do in the weight room or on the field. It's about getting our student athletes to be able to reach their maximum potential. So if if we have to fill a certain role to be able to get them there, then that's what we're going to do. And sometimes it's just lending an ear and talking to them and hearing out what they're going through, the different stresses they have in their life. And other times it is as simple as a workout um, or, or getting the guys, you know, on on a like a halftime, giving them. Uh, certain nutrition that they're going to be able to take to help maximize their performance. So really whatever it is, we're here for our student athletes, whatever we have to do to get it done. Oh, we're definitely going to get into that halftime nutrition. It's probably one of my favorite things in the entire world. Um, but, but jumping into it real quick, and I don't want to make it a long thing, but you know, people ask a lot of times about careers in, in athletics and college athletics. And I think, um, I think strength and conditioning is something that maybe people don't really think about. Um, so just go through, Take us through like kind of your journey from high school, Tim Ream, North Jersey, Benny, to, <laughs> to, you know, to your, you know, graduating, getting your first, you know, full-time job. Yeah, absolutely. So, so basically when I was a sophomore in high school, I mean, I was a three-sport athlete. I played football, I ran track and I wrestled. Um, and it was, it was trying to find a way to, take that next step forward as as an athlete so they had this place called parisi's um strength and conditioning speed school it was up in fairlawn new jersey and i went there just to work out a couple times a week and i just saw what these guys did the guys who trained us what they did for a living and they just looked like they were having a great time and i was just like at that moment i was like this is what i want to do um so i remember you know fast forward to applying for colleges i actually applied for athletic training at springfield college because i thought 
that that's what it meant. You were training athletes, got there, realized that that was more of, you know, taking care of injuries and all that kind of stuff. And that was definitely not what I wanted to do. All respect to our trainers. Um, so, you know, basically changed the major over to applied exercise science, learned the science behind, you know, strength and conditioning and all that, that stuff, which was, which was fantastic. Uh, was able to do a couple internships. Uh, my last and best one being with the New York Giants. Did that in 2007 and 2008. 2007 being a Super Bowl year. It's a pretty good time to right, be there. If you can, you know, anyway. Um, one of their so four, right? That's one, one of their four one world four, championships. One of right. four if we're, if we're scoring at home. I thought so. I was yeah. Fair just enough. I knew I was going to get doubled up here. <laughs> we have all these Eagles fans on. I finally get a fellow Giants fan sure, on. Sure, yeah. sure. We have had a lot of Eagles fans on. But, Go ahead. Um, yeah, but basically, you know, I had the opportunity to learn from one of the best in strength and conditioning, Jerry Palmieri, who, who is my mentor. And, uh, you know, was able to learn a lot. And then fortunately from there at the end of 2008, at the end of training camp, there was an assistant strength and conditioning position open at Monmouth University. Uh, came down here and, uh, and took that job. Worked for Tom Battaglia, who had been the, the school's only strength and conditioning coach, but was very fortunate to be able to hop right into the, the head for football, which, you know, I definitely was thrown into that probably sooner than I was ready for it. A lot of uh, baptism by fire as far as that goes, but... You know, working with Coach Cal back in 2008, uh, you know, really set me on my way to finding my coaching voice and confidence and all that kind of stuff. Certainly made a lot of mistakes that I've learned from. Um, I think that's the great thing about strength and conditioning is there's no one way to do things. There's no one way to train people. And you try things out. What works, great. If it doesn't work, learn from it. You know, so was a was able to be here until 2015 in that role. Over that time, I did uh, transfer over to the head position which was fantastic, you know, worked with a lot of different um, teams in addition to football. Uh, in 2015, I left for an opportunity at Fordham University where I worked for three years um, with the Rams in the Bronx, which was, uh, you know, like my parents are both from the Bronx. That's where they grew up. So, so that, was, that was special to me to be able to go back to an area where I had a lot of family roots. Um, was actually even closer to home than here, um, you know, growing up in North Jersey just over the George Washington Bridge. Um, was at Fordham for three years, got some great connections there, one of them being Coach Joe Moorhead, who uh, took the head football job down at Mississippi State and was able to join him on his staff as an assistant strength and conditioning coach for just the football program down at Mississippi State. Did that for a year. Uh, it was pretty awesome to be able to step back from a head role and be an assistant and learn, you know, get away from having to run a program and being able to to learn about some different aspects, uh, especially in a program that's in the SEC. You can imagine uh, the things that you are able to work with, you know, the technologies that maybe some smaller programs aren't able to fund. So I was able to learn a lot. And, you know, those are things that I've actually brought with me, uh, that knowledge and, and some of that experience back here when, you know, that season was over, opportunity uh, to come home presented itself and, and I was all over it, um, you know, enjoyed working in the SEC, but there were a lot of different things that fed into me wanting to come back to the FCS level, being able to come back to Monmouth, uh, you know, simply being able to work with athletes, not just football. You know, I work with our men's soccer program here. I work with field hockey. I work with our distance runners as well as just overseeing the department as a whole. So, you know, being able to work with lots of different sports again, um, and just really feel like I'm able to have a connection with the athletes here. Sometimes I think, you get up to that big time power five SEC where it's like it's NFL or bust for these people um, for here, a little bit of a different outlook from our athletes and just really felt like I was on a, 
a, a much better, closer level with the athletes that I work with today. Yeah. So it's the, the, the rare, I don't know if it's rare, but you see it in, in college athletics. You know, I think everybody when they first get into college athletics thinks that the, the mountaintop is, is an SEC football program or is, you know, UCLA men's basketball or Duke men's basketball. And there are people who, who get up to that area and they decide, you know what, I don't think this is for me. And it's usually kind of what Tim spoke about. It's, you know, I, I spoke to a colleague of mine who, who works for a Power 5 football team um, probably about three weeks ago. And we were talking about some different stuff, and, and, and he's a he's in media relations. And I, I asked him about somebody else who he works with that we that I know. And he said, honestly, he's like, I haven't left the football building. He's like, my office is in the football building. I haven't left there in three months. He's like, I haven't even seen that person. And and I think you take, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that approach. Um, and certainly there were days in my career where I felt like that was definitely what I wanted to do. And there might still be days in my career where I feel like that is what I want to do. Um, but I think it's a different approach than, than what we have going on here at Monmouth and most other mid-majors where you're in one building, you know, you're working with a, with a wide breadth of teams. And um, I think it's just like variety. Like it's kind of kind of cool that way. I think that we heard similar things from Ginny Boggess earlier this year, her experience at Penn State. And then I think it's something that if, and, you know, Tim, you've, I think, have that experience that I think those of us that haven't, I think are interested in hearing, but also that perspective, regardless of the position, I, I think like Greg said, it's an interesting one. So your, your career, and before we get hyper-specific about Mammoth, but along the way, kind of making those stops, at what point in your kind of journey did you know that this was the level, I would say for you, from an impact perspective, knowing that you could, like you said, impact more than just one group of student athletes in one sport? Yeah, I would think to your point before when you talk about being able to, you know, come to Monmouth and all the different relationships and all the different people you see on a daily basis, uh, you know, down in Mississippi State, it was a, it was exactly that. You were in one football building. You only worked with football athletes. You worked with the football coaches, um, which, which was great. But at the same time, I had started working here at Monmouth University. So what I knew from Monmouth, my first real experience working in a collegiate strength and conditioning program was the family aspect of Monmouth, being able to walk into the athletics department, you know, pop into the different offices, talk to some different people. That's what I knew. That's what I still love to this day. That's one of the biggest things that brought me back here is the family atmosphere here at Monmouth, you know, having the relationships with all the different people, all the different student athletes. And when I didn't have that, while you know, the, the football aspect of it was awesome. I mean, there were some great places. We went to Alabama. We went to LSU. We saw some of the greatest sites and played in some of the best atmospheres that you can in college football. That being said, I think it's maybe what I just value over a little bit more is not necessarily playing in these massive stadiums, but just for your work, generally loving what you do, loving the people that you're working with on a daily basis, and really feel like you're making a connection to the student athletes that you work with every single day. And that, that's what's most important to me. And I think especially here, do you see, and because you've had the chance to work with athletes that have gone on to kind of the next step in their career, be it here or in the SEC, do you maybe feel that you and your staff have more impact in that development of a mama student athlete because of that, because of the closeness to it, than maybe you would otherwise at a bigger school or at a bigger program that, you know, maybe there there's more people to kind of get involved in the process where here you really and your staff really lead that charge when it comes to that development of our student athletes. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and it kind of goes back to the beginning where I was saying strength and conditioning coaches wear a lot of hats. At some of those bigger programs, you have people who, you know, might fill the certain jobs that we kind of fill that bucket here at Monmouth, which in some cases it forces you to work harder and, and that's part of the deal. But at the same token, you're able to, you know, you're able to just have different impacts on these student athletes and do different things. Um, which I think then gets is more impactful for you, you know, so so that's what I can appreciate. And um, I just see, you know, the coaches, they want to do more with our strength and conditioning department teams that used to come in two days a week, they want to come in three or four days a week, you know, they want to do more stuff outside with, you know, different kind of conditioning workouts, and the athletes are coming in and saying, hey, I want to do extra. So just that is showing me this department is having a positive impact on our teams on our athletes on our coaches. So, you know, rather than pull away, we're saying, hey, we want to be able to do more. So I got like a thousand questions, but we'll take this one first. Um, nutrition is like a, a huge por- portion of what you do. And at a lot of schools, they have, a you know, director of nutrition. That's, I think, one of those positions here at Monmouth. That's like a, a wish list type of deal. I think every department has a couple people couple roles that they love to fill. Like we were always talking about a graphic, like a full-time graphic designer in house. And I know nutrition is one and whatever there's, there's a bunch. Um, but you, you know, your staff has really taken on that. And I know geo is really good with the nutrition aspect of it. So how does that kind of play into, to your guys role here at Monmouth? Yeah. So I would say, you know, geo does a great job. Um, and so do our other coaches as well. I mean, even Bree Rubino, she, she has the precision nutrition coaching um, course certification that um, myself and Gio have also taken. So, you know, we're, we're working with these student athletes. There is no dietitian here uh, for athletics. There is no nutritionist for athletics. So even though we don't pretend to have that title, we know that it, we're in a great position to educate our student athletes on proper nutrition, proper hydration, the proper amount of sleep they should be getting because, you know, ultimately they can work hard, they can run, they can lift, they can do all this stuff. If they're not putting the right kind of stuff back into their bodies, eventually they're going to break down and it's actually going to be counterproductive. So, you know, it's our job to educate them on, you know, the types of carbohydrate, fat and protein they should be getting in their diet, how many calories they should be taking in. If they have a goal to gain weight, this is what they need to do every single day. If they want to lose weight, if they want to maintain, everybody's different. You know, plus we get people with different kind of allergies and, you know, certain dietary preferences. You know, it's tough. And and I do believe that this department would be best served by having a full-time person to deal with nutrition. But that being said, until that happens, we're probably in the best position to talk to these athletes and educate them because even though we're strength and conditioning coaches, we work in higher education. So it is our job to teach these athletes about everything that pertains to maximizing performance. And if you're not eating right, you're not hydrating if you're not sleeping your your performance is going to decrease so it's not just about lifting weights has the student athlete as a whole gotten how much smarter have they gotten with that from when you started in this position to where you are now i feel like there's more conversation around it whether it's here in this building or whether you go on instagram you know what i mean everyone's an expert it seems but how much i guess is out there and how much I'm going to be presumptuous and say smarter is today's student athlete than one from 2008 when it comes to nutrition, or are they not smarter? Well, I would say it plays on two levels. Number one, we have a lot more people in health science and specifically exercise science here at Monmouth University than we did when I first started working here. So you have people who are athletes here who are taking these classes, they're learning, and they legitimately want to know, hey, why are we doing this certain workout? And it's not because they're trying to you know, say that you're doing something wrong. They're generally interested in why are we doing this? 
and what is this going to best help and what are you know different ways that we can that we can implement to accomplish certain goals so i love having those conversations with our student athletes um and i would also say on the second part is a lot of these student athletes are coming from places where they either had strength and conditioning coaches working at their high school which is definitely something that's that's big in the last 10 years because i know we certainly didn't have that back in 2004 when i was graduating um, or they're going to private facilities where they have a private strength and conditioning coach. So, you know, um, in some cases, you know, it, it's, it's about correcting some bad habits that people have, have, uh, have grown accustomed to. But in other cases, it's people are coming in with experience in strength and conditioning and it helps us do our job. What do you think about the explosion of like these sports specific gyms? Where it's not just like, all right, so when I was in high school and we wanted to go lift, you got a membership. Yeah, and we went to workout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we went, you know, we went to. You and then you'd get a shake after. <laughs> right, right. Maybe if, if I could scrape if together I had the, money. The, yeah, yeah. the four bucks or whatever. But now, like, there's asylum, there's adrenaline, there's all these places in the, just in this area that are like, hey, you might do a little weightlifting, but now it's like explosive work. And, and, and do you think that, you know, where do you think that kind of came from? Other than parents just having disposable income. <laughs> yeah, I would just say it's probably driven by people who had similar experiences as, my, as myself. And they, and they grew up, uh, they had a positive experience with strength and conditioning in their own life, and they wanted to do that. So I would say the field of strength and conditioning is booming as a whole, where you know some people branch off like myself and wanted to go the collegiate route. Other people wanted to go the private sector route, which you know was great. I, that was never going to be for me. I didn't want to have to be the the personal trainer, private guy who had to go down and, you know, basically find all the clients and, and sign them up for packages and stuff. I love having a captive audience here at Monmouth University where, you know, they got to show up at nine o'clock or I get to just tell their coach that they didn't show up and then it gets handled. <laughs> I don't got to worry about chasing them down. But um, I think it's helpful, you know, and like I said, I think it, it helps these athletes develop um, at a younger age. Um, I think it corrects a lot of myths that, you know, kids shouldn't be lifting weights and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, we're able to get access to our athletes at an earlier age. And as long as they're doing the right thing, I think it's definitely beneficial. That's an interesting point that you bring up too. the, the, you know, they're being taught, I guess, kind of three things, right? They're being taught what their young coaches are saying. They're being taught maybe what the parents or guardians are, are saying. And then they're being taught what social media and what the world is kind of telling them. So I, I think that's interesting. We might have to break this up into a couple different parts because I think we could take this into oh. many. I mean, we haven't even scratched the surface of the work that Tim's doing at Monmouth alone. Sure. <laughs> sure. Really is remarkable, though, to, to think about your first time here. And we've all because of our longevity here, we were all here as young employees back when, when Tim started, it was when kind of, you know, we all started. And, and from then to now, Tim, I, I'm just curious, your, your kind of thoughts on the collective, you know, the Monmouth University athletic department that you walked into in 2008 versus the one you came back to in 2018. Uh, I, and you can answer this for two hours, but what were the biggest differences that brought you back here to Monmouth at that time in your career? Well, and I would even say before I get into that, that, when I came back here to Monmouth in 2019, it wasn't just coming back to the same role at Monmouth that I had when I first rolled into here in 2008. I mean, the, un the university looks different. Um, you know, when I was here, it was just me and our head strength and conditioning coach when I first came as an assistant. Fast forward to today, it's myself, and then I have four assistants, right, a staff of five um, you know, the technology that we have in our weight room back then in 2008, we had a weight room 
based out of Boylan Gym, where it was all the athletes. It was for the general public, right? So if you paid, you came in there, you'd pick up your pool pass <laughs> from the front desk, right? So we were handing those out. When it we wasn't all, a media room, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. We were eating <laughs> meals there at night after basketball games. I mean, that that room, it was wild. I mean, that was my first opportunity, you know, to, to work in college athletics. But it was the athlete weight room, it was a general pop weight room, and it was the general student population weight room. All in one facility, and you know the equipment was not what it is today. So now we're going to fast forward, and then you know, like I said, expanded staff. We have iPads on our racks that are tracking bar velocity. Um, we have force plates in the room measuring the force that our athletes are putting into the ground. We have you know just all this expanded technology uh, that our that our athletes are able to use, and it's just it's incredible how far this this department has come in that amount of time. Take us a little through the, the I, one of the coolest things I, I know, and we've done a, a feature on it, I think, um, are the polar monitors, because I think that's kind of just some next level type of stuff. So just take us through um, how those work and, and why you think they're so advantageous. And I know I, I felt like we were one of the earliest small schools to, to get on board with that. I know a lot, a lot of the pro teams and the bigger schools were getting on, but I felt like we were one of the, the earliest smaller schools. Yeah, so I would say that the biggest thing for our pollers and a lot of the technology that we have is twofold. The first one is the sports performance and tracking aspect of it where we're just we're tracking our guys. We're tracking and, and you know, seeing how they are at the start of a of a training camp. So and wait, the polar monitor is a little monitor yeah. that fits around you either on a vest yep. or like a belt that goes around I guess your chest yeah, or right underneath your belt. chest. So it basically it's like a red belt that goes right around and it makes contact with the skin and then you get a whole bunch of metrics. All right, go ahead. I just wanted to throw that out there because we're talking we're throwing out terms here. This is getting very scientific. You know, go ahead. I think it's awesome. I think it's it shows people that the commitment Mammoth has to getting your athletes better. You want to send your kid here, they're gonna be a better athlete when they leave not just because of what their coaches teach them better but even it's healthier and it's more aware of all of that yeah and and just so so getting into that like i said the first part is strictly sports performance you know how fast are you running out there what is your heart rate at right now what is your um your training load which is essentially a whole bunch of things that just says how much stress did this athlete endure during a practice right and then we're going to look at the long-term effect or even you know like over the week over the month which way are we trending? Are our guys breaking down or are we, you know, slowly increasing what we're able to do when we're out on the field, out on the court, whatnot? Um, so I think that's fantastic. And it, 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 it makes us have some great conversations with our coaches where we can say, hey, listen, coach, uh, you know, Juwan Fari, we've been tracking his numbers. He's kind of taken a little bit of a downward trend this past week. Maybe we can ease up on his load for practice the next couple of days. And then, you know, by Saturday, we can crank it back up again, you know. So it allows us to have some fantastic conversations. And I really appreciate the openness that our coaches have here. Not only the openness, but even the willingness to have these conversations. Um, Some people might think, oh, coaches don't want to be told what to do, how to structure their practice. I would say it's the exact opposite. I would say coaches are excited about having these conversations, you know, and what we can provide, you know, not just as a team wide, but individual level, you know, and being able to make modifications. So I would say that's fantastic. But then, you know, strength and conditioning, the biggest thing that we can say we do is is geared and driven towards the well-being of our student athletes, right? So we can't just say that and then not do anything about it, you know, and we've seen some things in college athletics where, you know, uh, heat illness and heat strokes and, and, and student athletes have lost their lives on the field during a hot summer conditioning session 
you know, we have no tolerance for allowing something like that to, to happen, you know? So I think that there are things you can do, um, you know, to try to be proactive. And if we have heart rate monitors on our guys and we're able to get live feedback and say, Hey, listen, this guy over here, his heart rate is way up there right now. Let's get him off the field. You know, let's put him in the shade. Let's get him in the cold tub, whatever it is, shut it down for him today. When you have technology like that, it allows you to be proactive rather than reactive when things go wrong. That, that is, and you deal with it every day, but to, to us, that's remarkable. The fact that when I, I, that's amazing that a, a recruit should hear that and understand the premium put on player student athlete safety and well being and a parent should too. That's what I'm saying. That's one of those things that you you can't tell enough people about what that is. Do do the students understand how kind of game changing that is, or maybe they don't because thankfully they've been dealing with it since they were freshmen. Because you say that to us, and I'm, I've been in this, we've been in this industry now 16 years. That is an absolute game changer. Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, the guys come in after practice and they'll be like, hey, how fast did I run today? That's what they want to know. That's they where they're know, at. They want to know who the, what we call the cheetah of the day, for example. For right. football, we have the cheetah of the day where we basically make a list of the guys and the top miles per hour that they hit when they're out in the field. The bigger guys, they have the rhino of the day. Number, <laughs> nice. I appreciate bulkier, that. A bulkier animal. Um, <laughs> I appreciate but, that. So they don't want to know about, you know, maybe some of the safety metrics, like, you know, right. time spent in your max heart rate zone. But we look at it, you know, so they don't have to know as far as that stuff. They want to know about, you know, the sexier things, speed, how many total yards that I go for today, how many accelerations that I have. They're going to get competitive. You know, the wide receivers will come in. They want to know, you know, who ran the fastest, who hit the most amount of yards, who had the most accelerations. Then they all, you know, talk about it. So we like that. But the most important thing beyond speed and yardage is health and well-being. And that's that's never going to change for us. I mean, these these parents they trust us with their most valued commodity on this planet when they drop their kids off here in West Long Branch. And, you know, that is the role that we can play in strength and conditioning as far as, you know, taking care of that and making sure that at no point do we put anything ahead of that. How, how, um, what changed? What did you change when you came back to Monmouth after being at Fordham and, and Mississippi state? What's like one thing that you, that you brought back and you were like, this is something I need to implement at Monmouth. What 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 is one thing? Because I know like our nutrition changed, our our halftime nutrition changed, stingers. Like what what was it? <laughs> uh, there there were a bunch of things, but I think you know I saw how it was done on the biggest of stages. Like even you know th there were things that we did at Mississippi State where you know we had force plates and the types of halftime nutrition that we were able to implement. And those are things that I brought back here. So, you know, I think I realized that it didn't, you didn't just have to be working in the SEC to still be able to do things like that here at Monmouth University. And Monmouth University as a whole, the department, um, everyone from the president down has supported athletics and has supported strength and conditioning um, in, in a number of different ways and allowed us to be able to do these things. I mean, we even send our athletes down to uh, current recovery and rehab down in Belmar. We send them, we put them in the cryo chambers and, and infrared they, saunas. They love that. I mean, this proud is kind of sponsor, yeah, by the way, yeah, proud exactly. sponsor of my athletic. I mean, th these are things that, yeah, at Alabama, they, they have their own room right. on campus. That's for this, but you know what? We're still able to get our athletes the same experience. They just got to drive to Belmar and do yeah. it, but that's fantastic. Another beach town, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, it's right on the coast, and a, and a group that has been very supportive since they've opened. Yeah, no doubt of and everything that we do. Mom alum, 
owned? I believe so. Yeah, so we send multiple um, teams down there, and, and you know they're willing and, and open to help all of our student-athletes out. So that's great. I would say another thing is um, there's been a big push in strength and conditioning for velocity-based training, which is what we've used our technology for. The iPads that we have on our rack, there's a, there's a, a band that goes on the bar so that when you do a bench or you do a squat – it will immediately give you feedback on how fast you're moving the bar. And, and to put it simply, strength is important in sport, but equally as important, if not more, is how fast can you apply that strength. When you're on the football field, it doesn't matter if you're you know some big meathead walking around, power lifter who can squat 600 pounds if you're slow when you do it. You need people who can strike with strength, but also speed and force and um, and be aggressive about it because that's the kind of stuff that's going to make a great football player. So we track that in the weight room. We foster that. I would say our speed development program, whether it's running or lifting speed, is probably the biggest thing and the strongest part of, of my program. I would say that. That's what we put the most amount of, of emphasis on. Um, and we've seen, you know, just watching the data, we've, we've seen some great trends for that. So between the data and between everything else, it seems like you, you can't listen to you speak and not hear this come through, but how much of an emphasis do you put on your own and your staff's education development, kind of the, you know, going to, to seek out all the different information? You mentioned all the certification certifications that you guys have, but how much is that important for you philosophically to get out there and make sure that you're doing, uh, like you said, what what the, the big power fives are doing? Yeah, I mean, it's important. I mean, the research is changing so fast. I mean, things that you might have learned about five years ago might be obsolete by now. So it's very important. And to my staff's credit, we have a lot of self-starters when it comes to to um, professional development and researching. I mean, my staff is great about that. I see them on the computers and you know, reading research and journals and stuff like that. So they're all about it. And then within our own office, it fosters a great environment of having conversations and trying different things with our teams. Hey, when you did that with the women's lacrosse team, how did that work out for you, Bree? And then we have that and we apply that to our own teams, right? So so it's in great environment. And, um, you know, the school does a great job with allowing us to professionally develop. Um, I actually just got back yesterday from Oklahoma City where we had our, um, our collegiate strength and conditioning association uh conference down there managed to so i had a drive from dallas to oklahoma city when i got down there on monday and drive through basically tornadoes and the craziest storm that i've ever driven through it was white knuckles for almost two hours where i I swear i mean this guy who was driving this truck in front of me was a godsend because i i just tucked right in behind him for probably about an hour of the drive and couldn't see anything else but yeah and then come to find out the next day that there were multiple tornadoes all around us, and that was just <laughs> that was wild. So, a slight tangent there, but uh, that that's what we went through this week. Uh, uh, who knew that Storm Chaser could be added to Tim's job title? What's the name? Twister. Twister. Yeah, I yes. mean, that's what I had in my mind the whole time. Any Bill cows Pullman. go flying by? Paxton. 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 Sorry. Bill R- Pullman's R- Independence R- Day. I think Bill Paxton passed right. I don't it think might be. Oh, yeah. no. One of the two of them died. I'll yeah. check. Yeah. All right. So uh, last question before we get into the fun stuff, and, and this is going to kind of tie in what Eddie and I are going to talk about later. But Yes, um, RIP Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton, not Bill Pullman. He was the president in Independence Day. Right. Still alive. Still, very Still with alive. us, yes. Good for him. <laughs> uh, so so one of the things that, that – one of the roles you have is, is when football – and I know this is very football-centric, but I don't want to make it, but it just is – but when NFL scouts come out to our practices, which is semi-daily, 
one of the people that they always spend time talking to is, is you. Um, so I want to wrap, I want to fold that into having Lonnie Moore, the fourth, just signing uh, a mini camp deal with, with the jets. But what is that conversation like with the NFL teams? What are they asking about? And uh, obviously Lonnie was a hard worker on and off the field. Um, you know, what do you think? You know, I mean, you obviously have worked with the, the Giants. You brought that up when they won one of their four Super Bowls. <clears throat> uh, and what <laughs> what uh, what do you think he he possesses that'll make him um, give him a chance to make it at the next level? Yeah, so I would say that the NFL scouts realize that strength and conditioning coaches probably spend more time with the athletes than any other person in the department, like even more so than their position coaches, their head coaches, just with the amount of time they train. And then we're out there for every practice, every game, they know that they can come to the strength coach and they can find out a lot of information on the, you know, on the first level, it usually starts out with, Hey, what are they squat? What are they bench? What is their 40 time? What is their vertical jump? And we give them the fact, but then probably even more so important than that is, you know, what kind of a person are they? What's the character? You know, are they, if you leave them alone in the weight room, and you left a workout there for them. Would they do the whole thing or would they cut corners? Uh, you know, different kinds of red flags. Because uh, we see them. We see them at all times. We see the way they are with the guys. I mean, they want to know, hey, are, are they tight with the guys on the team or are they a little bit more of an outcast? Because they want to know, is this guy going to be a good locker room guy for us? Like on, on top of the fact, like they're going to be able to watch the film and, and see what kind of a football player they are. They kind of want to talk to us about, yes, the measurables, but then – what kind of a dude is this guy going to be for us if we bring him into our program? And just to follow up with, with Lonnie, like what, what were your impressions of, of him and um, what do you think it's going to take for him to be, or do you think he'll be successful at that next level? I mean, I think Lonnie Moore is one of the hardest working people that I've ever been around um, in my career of in strength and conditioning. Like he was someone who just came in every single day. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a lot of rah-rah. It wasn't, you know, just he came in and he worked. I mean, that's what I can just say about him. He came in, he bought into the strength and conditioning program, which, you know, for him, he was already a couple of years into his career. So sometimes when there's some changing of strength and conditioning coaches, you can kind of be like, oh, well, I like doing it the old way. Lonnie bought in from day one and he worked his butt off. Uh, he increased his body weight from the time I was here. So you could just tell that his strength went up, his weight went up, he got faster uh, he stayed healthier. So I, I think, you know, all of that, I think, was a great indication that Lonnie was about the program. He was about doing all the things in the room, but then also all the things that we talked about outside of the room. You know, like I said, getting the sleep, the hydration, nutrition. You could see that he was a full-time professional mindset guy. And that's what we talked to our di different teams about is you need to have a professional mindset about your sport, you know. A guy like Ray Lewis, for example, who, who had such a long career in the NFL, he didn't just do it by showing up and doing the stuff that they had for him on the board that day and then going home and just kind of whatever. You know, it's about a full-time investment in taking care of your body, doing the little things, doing the extra, doing what's not asked of you in order to get ahead of the competition, but even more so than that, than to prolong your career and bring yourself to the best uh, potential possible. It'll be fun to watch Lonnie progress. And hopefully have a chance. I feel like today's NFL, right, he's going to have a great opportunity to yeah, so. go out there. Because I think we saw him, you know, Tim, in, in not to be the scout for a second, but from where we sit, right, you're on the field, you see them work all week through practice, and then you see them go play in a game. And, and not to go too much about this, but he always struck us 
like someone who pound for pound was just incredibly strong. And think back to, you know, when he breaks that tackle at Wagner, the year that, that, you know, Monmouth goes on the road and gets that win and that propels the long winning streak. He, he just seemed like he could do things like that. He was so elusive. He almost had an Alvin Kamara-esque ability to him. From my vantage point as someone who knows nothing about other everything here except talking about sports. And, and you know, do you see that? That could be, and not to, again, go too much with Lonnie, but I love this kind of stuff. Right? It, did you see that every day where he, he was, came here, he was slight, but he was like a piece of steel. Yeah, and I think he also had a great, like, body awareness for like when you're going to, so he was a little bit of a smaller guy, but he would also take hits and know how to shift his body yes. so that he wasn't taking the full brunt mm-hmm. of the hit. He used to jump think, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, like just get off the ground a little bit. Exactly. And you know, so if he didn't have that ability, he probably would have been hurt a whole lot more. And you know, for a play like such as the one at Wagner that, you know, was probably one of the most exciting plays that I've been a part of since I've been back here. I mean, he was able to kind of shrug off that tackle and then go run for the game-winning touchdown. So, you know, like I said, it's helped him from a performance standpoint, but also from a health standpoint. I feel like because we know Tim so well that we need to just get a little bit more into into who he is, you yeah, know? Always. And that's one of the things. It's the best part of the interview. It is. You know, you mentioned the facility that Mammoth had when you got here, how it was a shared gym by everyone. Well, now there is because of some great improvements and President Leahy overseeing a lot of that. So there is a varsity weight room. So, all right, we walk into the varsity weight room, which we're able to do and, and right, we cover the teams. Yeah. I know Maybe the music. Maybe get a workout in. Yeah. I've been slacking. So I hope Tim doesn't hold that against the, us. The door's always open, fellas. I, um, <laughs> I mean, if Dico's could get in there and work out. <laughs> he was in there today. I have zero it. excuse. Oh, yeah. He's, he, he's big with the, I could take, I could get the sleeves going here. Right. right, like that's summertime pipes. Yeah, right, exactly. As yeah. we get older, we all have different things that are going to help us for you know for what we're looking for in that point <laughs> in time. So once upon a time, maybe it was about squat and bench. Now it might just be I'm trying to look good in a polo. Right. Sure, right. We know when you walk in that room, the the music of choice falls on. I'm guessing the teams. How do you go about it, and what would be ideally on those speakers if it was up to Tim Ream? Yeah, so that that's yeah drastically different. So we have it's <laughs> it's I would say ninety percent of the time it's some type of uh, hip hop right now. So and it's like modern hip hop. You know, we have some teams. I'll even say men's soccer loves nineties hip hop. Nice. You know so, why? Excellent sports supervision because they get it. It's, it's fantastic. And the first time that one of their guys came up and requested it, I I must have. I almost fell down. Right. But I happily granted. <laughs> what are we throwing know? on? Some like West Coast? It, it was, yeah. I mean, we had we had Tupac. We had, um, nice. you know, it, it was good. I mean, it, I think California Love was the first oh, one that great. cranked on. Soccer it was like, gets it. Yeah, they were, they, they 100%. And there's there. a lot of international students on that roster. Yep. So that's intriguing. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, they have good knowledge of. Of 90s. So right, that so being said, though, if, if I'm working out, it's probably going to be more something like ACDC or mm. uh, Disturbed, Linkin Park. Okay. Uh, that, that's probably a little bit more what I'm looking for. I will say, see, that's why I want to ask Tim, because when you walk by the weight room that the general pop, you know, general population or people that are, are members of the gym here use, you're at the mercy of like their staff. And I've noticed there's a little bit of a disconnect between the music that they play versus the music that the students maybe that are working out there want to listen to. It's like sure. my dad's running the, you know, the music, which <laughs> right. is interesting. But I hear you. So if we go by there and we hear Hell's Bells playing, we know mm-hmm. Tim is running. Yeah, you know that yeah. I'm running the show. You're, you're right. running the show. Right, but, exactly. 
But, but either time, it, whether it's my music or their music, the common thing is it's going to be loud. Yeah. You know? yes. So strength conditioning yeah. coaches, you might love exercise. You might love being around sports. If you don't enjoy listening to loud music, I'm probably <laughs> going to lose my hearing within the next 10 years. But for a while we have it, it's fantastic. Sure. Um, so let's just, I already know this is a loaded question because Tim and I share a great love of, of a movie, I, I you know which is a, a lock for us. But one question we always ask is if you're, if you're sitting at home and you're flipping through the stations and a movie comes on, what's one movie that you absolutely are stopping the channel, putting the remote down and you're watching the rest of that movie? Jaws. There it is. Hands down. There it is. It's not a question. There it is. I don't think I knew you had a, a oh. love for all of the Jaws or the, the original. Uh, well, I'll tell you this. When I was a kid, I used to think Jaws three was the best because <laughs> Jaws it 3D. was yeah it was in Disney <laughs> yes. World or in yes. uh, Sea World. Is that the one on the ride? Uh, no, it's the you're in Sea World and and the the thing comes through the front. Louis Gossett Jr. and but now that I'm older, I even like Jaws four. But now that I'm older, it's like one and two, and then three and four. Yeah. Just kind of the order of release is the order. Of the quality, a hundred percent, not even close. But George Jaws four, I'm, I'm not going to get. This is not about me. This is about Tim Reen. But Jaws four was the first movie I watched, and I was like, you know what? It, there are people who do like research on islands for like marine biology. Like, I think I want to get into that. Mm. And then I failed organic chemistry one, and now I'm sitting here doing a podcast about sports, talking about Jaws though. Talking about Jaws, I'm going to bring it back. I mean, so so I knew that was a loaded question. But um, do you have like a one B? Is there something else? Uh, I, I mean, I like the whole Dark Knight trilogy. Mm, I would probably say I, I like Dark Knight Rises maybe just ahead of the Dark Knight and then Batman Begins after that. But I okay. love those movies. Even Ooh, the most I recent. Batman I like Batman. So ever since I was a kid, we had the action figures and I still like all the Batman movies. You, you know? watched the, all the them, most recent one? Mo yeah. Awesome. I dragged through it. Yeah, it's long. It's long. It's, I think it's good. I yeah. like it. Not as, I don't think it's as good as the Nolan movies. No, the Nolan ones are really good. But I think it's up there, and I okay. think it, it sets a good uh, good next couple ones. This gonna, this will whether I really liked him or not. Um, who is the best Joker? And you can throw Joaquin Phoenix in there too if you. Yeah, really know. I, I I mean I think that was a good movie, but I still don't put him apart. I, I think I think Ledger is still just ahead of Jack. Oh, I do. I think it's close though. Can't do it. You like? Wait, Jack? where do you I go? Loved, I love Jack Nicholson's yeah. Joker. See, Maybe because I'm a little older. I'm not that much older than you, but maybe because I'm a little bit older. Like, I, I saw that Batman in the movie theater, and my cousin took me, and I was like, oh, my God, this guy. I didn't even know who the hell Jack Nicholson was. I was, like, right. 10 years old. I, I feel like that is such a – you age yourself by your answer there. Probably. But also, I agree with you. I didn't because pull out they're Cesar also, Romero. You, you did not. <laughs> they're also two different Jokers, and I think everyone sure. needs to realize that. Yes. And I feel like people get extra points – for being like everyone likes Joaquin Phoenix version because it's the grittiest version and you get to buy yeah, darkest. Hang on. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. I don't need that for all of my movies. Who's your, you can only pick one and it's hard. Who's, if someone says Batman, who is the Batman for you? Christian Bale. Okay. Yeah. Narrowly ahead of Michael Keaton. Yes. Right. Uh, I would say maybe not narrowly, but uh, yeah, I mean, know, Christian Bale is really good. He is. Yeah. Even I got, but I liked Michael Keaton, but I probably am. I'm old. with you. I have a very deep appreciation for Batman one and Batman returns. Batman returns is sneaky. Uh, fantastic. Danny DeVito. And it's also it's frightening. frightening. That movie came out when we were like 12. Yeah, I was like 12 years old. It is frightening. And you maybe not 12, maybe it was like 10. You watch it back and it's like, there's a lot of things in there. I'm like, I didn't know what was going on here when I was that age. <laughs> I feel like growing up, I wasn't even allowed to watch it for some yeah. reason. I have a lot more memories of Batman, the original. 
Yes. Right? And kind of cartoony. For some reason, Batman, but I'm even saying the first Michael Keaton Batman. Yes. I, I, yes. I remember that one, but the second one. Like my mom didn't even let the, me watch. There's it some as much. weird, overtly sexual. I yeah, just watched Michelle it recently. Pfeiffer, there's some with weird my things. kids, and yeah, I'm yeah. like, I, you know, my son's 12 now. My other daughter, my youngest daughter, is nine, and I'm like, I, this is like borderline <laughs> inappropriate. Yeah, and Danny DeVito is frightening. <laughs> yeah, he's got the black teeth and he's biting heads off yes. fish and stuff. Oh, it's frightening. Great penguin. Uh, all right, we'll wrap this up here. I could do this. We could do this for another hour, but you got to go. I got another meeting at some point here. The guy just texted me. He said he was running late, uh, which is great. Uh, best cat woman. I would say, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think the one from the most recent movie killed you liked her. Well, uh, what's oh, her? That's um, Zoe Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz. I, I thought she did a great job. I, I really like the one from um, the one with Bane. And Hathaway. Uh, and Hathaway. And Hathaway. Yeah, I, would I say, thought she was really good. I would say Kravitz did a better job than her, I would say. Okay. I, here, I'm going to fully transparent. I still have like 45 minutes left on that Batman. I haven't even started it yet. My, son, my son, I was watching with Frank, which is really questionable parenting at one point because they go down in the club and, you know, there's some dancing going on of this female variety and i'm like oh man i, I can i did i screw this up but then he had to, he had to go to sleep i think he had school or something and then i was gonna watch without him so i still have 40 minutes left so and I'm, i would say the final 40 has the most action so awesome. you'll, you'll appreciate that the most all right we're gonna lock it in he's got lacrosse tonight yeah. maybe tomorrow night the, the cat i was just thinking back the fact that michelle pfeiffer didn't even get a vote tells you how deep catwoman is and she wasn't bad as a character no i thought she was really really good a deep character. They got. They've nailed. They've nailed the even Earth a kid. If you want to go back to wow. the sixties, I've heard. I've heard people say that the auxiliary Batman characters, the Joker, and uh, that they're uh, they're system roles, right? So like, it's like a quarterback in an air raid offense. You're going to put up big numbers. Sure. If you give the Joker a good performance, you're going to get an award at some point. Because look at all the names you mentioned. Yeah, they're all award. Bane winners. was awesome. Uh, I thought. Uh, What's his name as Ra's al Ghul was awesome? Oh, Liam Neeson was Liam fan- Neeson? fantastic. Fantastic actor. I love the The Nolan movies are so good. Yeah. This was a podcast about strength and conditioning turned Batman movies. It, it makes sense, though, because Batman would be a strength and conditioning sure. coach if he was in college athletics. Definitely. Like, I think, actually, uh, Christian Bale climbed up all the mountains of Tibet to go into a strict uh, strength and conditioning routine. Hey, whatever it takes. We don't have those mountains around here, but if we had them, maybe I'd implement that into the program. Bring the, you must go and bring back the blue flower to Tim Ream before you could play linebacker at Monmouth University. We utilize the beach in what we do instead of those mountains. Equally as hard. Well, Not sure if those would be countable hours if I had to go through compliance for that. <laughs> Up the mountain? Yeah, Always mountain. compliant. You know, th- this time of year w- with championships coming, what people don't realize is it's about to be, I mean, I can't pick a, to say it's Tim's busiest time of year is to describe I mean, it's January 1st through the whole, it's the whole year, but we know the summer is so important in what you and your office do. And, and we know that the hard work is ahead of you. So we appreciate the time that you were able to give us today. And again, just peel back that layer a little bit for the listener for taking them behind the scenes, what a strength and conditioning coach does. So Tim, thank you for joining us and, and wish you the best of luck now in, in this off season in quotes, because we know it's all getting ready for the fall. I appreciate you guys having me on and you know it's guys like you Eddie and Greg who uh, who make this place great so I appreciate all that you guys continue to do to uh, enhance the department and uh, you know really enjoy working with you guys thanks buddy
Well, if Tim didn't have to run somewhere, we probably could have talked to him for another two hours, just about movies in and of itself. But Greg, to go back to the stuff that we were talking about with him, that field has gotten so intricate, specific, but interesting that, I mean, outside of the movie takes, I could listen to Tim talk about their philosophy on this for hours. Yeah, and there was a couple things I wanted to get. He he actually has a wedding um, that he's going to tomorrow, and he had to go run and grab a suit. So we kind of we already ran long, so I felt kind of bad about that. I don't want him to get. I'm sorry, Catherine, if you're listening to this. <laughs> it's all my fault. 100% Greg Viscomi's fault. Um, but yeah, no, the, the technology, the nutrition, it's like, it, and it's just getting better. Like, I, you know, it's getting better every year. Like Tim and, and the Geo and Bree and uh, the people he brings in to work with our te- our teams, Mike, and uh, they just they have they specialize in areas. And they make the whole department better, and it's just one of really the best parts of an already great athletic department is, is Tim Ream's uh, strength and conditioning team. So I remember one of the things that we all talked about when Mammoth made the move from the NEC to the MAC, and then from the NEC through being an independent team to the Big South. I remember I don't, it was probably me, you, and a few other people were like, maybe one of the biggest things that we'll see a difference is the physicality of our student athletes. And I think especially when Tim came back, you noticed a change in how our athletes looked. And that's probably twofold. It's the great work that they do. And it's the student athletes commitment to themselves and wanting to be better. And folks, we're going to clue you into something here. We cover athletics all year. I broadcast hundred games a year. The biggest difference between a student athlete at division two or division three or our level versus the power five more, more times than not. It's not the skill. It's the physicality. It's the size, the speed, the strength. Tim's crew gets our crew, our student athletes up to speed far exceeding our level. And they do a great job. Yeah. We talk about it all the time. Um, You know, if if XYZ student athlete was two inches taller, he'd be at Penn state. Right. You know, it's size. And I, the, one of the coolest things they do is, um, and we should probably do this one day, we probably have to get okay from people, but they take shirtless photos, I think sometimes in their like underwear, um, when somebody comes in in, well, for football, let's say June, and then then at the end of spring ball, so fast forward 10 months, they take the same photo to show like body transformation. I would love to take somebody's photo when they were a freshman. Yeah, versus a senior. Versus a, when they leave here as a senior, because it's amazing. It's amazing, and it's not. It's it's not just going in and pumping out two twenty five on the bench or whatever. It's eating right, eating enough. Sometimes eating the right things, the right amount of proteins, change their entire bodies, and really get some get some going for being a uh, a student athlete. So you, you can cool. imagine how difficult it is to get college students to eat the right way. That's what makes the personal responsibility, I think, so interesting. So, so we're so grateful to, to to Tim and his time to to join us and to give us his takes on movies as well. And you guys were aligned in all those. I, listen, I'm with you on Batman, and I'm with you. I'm a Jack Nicholson guy. I spent we spent a lot. Tim and I were roommates briefly for football trips, so we spent a lot of time talking about that. Um, he's been one of my guys here uh, traveling for football. Always next to him on the sideline when we go out to practice. I love him. So happy for him. Moved down to Brick, becoming a real man down there in Bricktown. <laughs> so I was excited to have him on. He was somebody we wanted to have on. We are kind of running out of time in the week here. We didn't want to miss no. our, our first episode. So I know I kind of threw it together late. 
I appreciate that, but I think it worked out pretty well. Busy weekend coming up, and I know we didn't, you know, Tim's conversation was great, but to kind of just steer you into, you know, what's going on as we as we wind this year down, you know, commencement is next week. Commencements are next week, depending on your uh, school of study. But, you know, the athletic calendar still has a lot going on. This weekend alone, you've got men's tennis visiting Harvard in the first round of the NCAA tournament. That's on Friday. You've got the track and field team, outdoor championships in the MAC. Trying Let's go wrap it up with two more championships. Trying to go Mac. get two more. They're trying to defend championships. You have women's lacrosse in the semifinals on Friday. That's up at Siena. So just alone tomorrow, you should Tons. be seated, computer in front of you, phone in front of you, bouncing back and forth, ESPN Live Stats. Greg, there's so much going on. Get on the social media. We'll have great coverage of all of those events. Uh, members of the, uh, the communication staff are, are spread out all over uh, the Northeast, getting getting you that uh, said content, and um, we're just excited. I, th- I think we can come home with a couple championships, and hopefully, you know, men's tennis. <coughs> excuse me, up at Harvard, we'll uh, we'll give them a good show. A couple of years ago, they battled with Columbia. So, baseball on the road at Fairfield. They still have a few weeks left in their regular yeah, season. They got a bunch left. They go up until Memorial Day weekend. So everyone's oh. sitting there wondering, you know, when college athletics ends. Well. If, and if you win that, you go into June. So yeah, there you go. Hopefully not till June for them. Exactly. So you hear the full list of events that is going on. MammothHogs.com has all of your information. Follow on Twitter. Follow on Instagram. Everywhere, like Greg said. And you're going tomorrow. You're going up to Siena? Going up to Siena with Women's Across. Um, looking to make their second ever MAC championship appearance. It'd be awesome if Coach Troutman and her squad would go out with a win. Coach of the year, Coach, Coach Troutman. Yeah, excuse me. MAC Coach of the year, Jordan Troutman. Um, and, and if you're a fan of that team, or even if you're not, go back and listen to our interview with Cassidy Orban. Uh, she was named the Mac Midfielder of the Year. Uh, so if you come on this show, I think it's a pretty good... <laughs> we'll see what Tennessee Tremaine does uh, tomorrow, or technically, I guess, Saturday, but Saturday and Sunday. We'll see what uh, what he does, but if you come on the show, I think you're you're going to probably have a good good year. Trey Dombrowski? Trey Dombrowski. Spin. Has having a great year. Fire. He's starting that opener against Fairfield by all accounts. He started every Friday nine inning game, obviously for Monmouth. They're all nine inning games now, thankfully. Yeah. So I'm there's great things going on. Chris Mickey Light, mouse crap. Chris Light, we had on the podcast, so he'll lead that Monmouth men's team into Harvard. Um, and we appreciate Tim's time, and we know how valuable it is. And busy weekend coming up. So this is where you need to be. Subscribe, rate, review to the podcast. Yep. Keep it locked on all of our social channels because we are trying to end this year. With a Commissioner's Cup in the MAC, Greg Mamet's trying to go out the way it came in, and that is dominating the Commissioner's Cup. Yeah, I mean, out of the, all the years that that they gave out a real Commissioner's Cup, there was one year where we only played like three sports, and they still gave one out. Um, we could talk off air about why that is, <laughs> but they gave one out. Uh, we have won it every year except for our first year. You know, our first year, we I don't I think we came in second. We did, um, and then we've won it every other year except for the year where they counted like four sports. And handed out a cup just because participation trophy. Um, so we've won it, and I hope we win it here. Uh, it looked like I think the men were in first, the overall were in the first, and the women were in like fourth. But that didn't count up any track and field, and that didn't count up uh, women's lacrosse. So uh, we have you know some some room to make up there, which is not undoable. Busy weekend coming up. Keep it locked to all of our social media channels, any broadcast that's on ESPN, and obviously keep it here on Hawk Talk. Subscribe, rate, review, go back and listen to any of our previous episodes. Uh, We're so happy to be doing this. It's the best part of our week, and we appreciate everyone that's downloaded, subscribed, and listen. Greg, we'll do it again next week. Hopefully we got some champions to talk about. Definitely, and uh, my last plug is going to be Monmouth Hawks or Monmouth University golf outing, which benefits Monmouth University athletics 
and athletes, student athletes, 100% of the proceeds go to our student athletes. There are sponsorship opportunities. There are still a couple foursomes. It's at Matitaconk. If you think you're a big time golfer, if you love golf, probably the second nicest course in New Jersey. Get your butt out there. Go online. You can find all sorts of ways. We even have T signs for sale, and 100% of the proceeds go and help athletics. So uh, get out there and, and help a hawk. production of the Monmouth Digital Network. Hawk Talk is available on all major podcast distribution sites, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Pandora, and more. All rights reserved. Uh-huh.